0: This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, this is Michael Strahan, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 23 of THN, where we're talking comics for the week of Wednesday, June 22nd. We're recording early this week, because Friday is my birthday, and my little bros are taking me to KC to watch the Royals kick the hell out of my beloved Cubs. My name is Matt Baum. I write about and appraise comics for workpoint.com and I'm putting my damn foot down and saying enough of this subway famous fans insert crap in my dc (laughs) comics the median age of comic readers these days is about 25 to 30 years old and the percentage of those readers who know who both blake griffin and carl edwards are or even what kind of sport they participate in is so low that i'm saying these ads appeal to no one not to mention the terrible art and awful premise case in point i give you joe patrick
1: i'm joe patrick artist and co-creator of good plus online and the only reason i know that blake griffin is a basketball player is because he was carrying a basketball when ordering his turkey bacon classic with avocado from the sandwich artist that might be racism by the way (laughs) although for the record i had to tell matt who carl edwards was i only know of him because my dad watches nascar and i am an adult baby that lives in my parents basement that's right Oh, and I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week you'll hear reviews of Brightest
0: Day, Aftermath, The Search for Swamp Thing Number One, and Ultimate Spidey 160. After that, we'll cut like a ninja, slice like a razor blade, as we review 10 comics in the (laughs) ludicrous speed round, we'll wax chumps like candles and talk about what you should be buying next week, and then we'll stop collaborate and listen for our take a look it's in a book segment where we'll be reviewing brian woods deviate gods and monsters but before we get to all that garbage let's shove our way through the circle of local toughs and drop some sick breakdance moves while vanilla ice and the gang chant go ninja go ninja go and we'll talk about this
1: week's big news this week marvel announced that veteran writer artist howard Chakin would be creating a new miniseries in october called Avengers 1959. The five-issue series will feature Nick Fury's secret team of Cold War-era adventurers, first introduced in the most recent storyline of New Avengers. The team consists of Fury, Dominic Fortune, Craven the Hunter, Ulysses Bloodstone, Sabretooth, Namora, and the original Silver Sable. <laughs> this new series will also feature Marvel's pulp superheroine... No Submariner, though. That's what, that's what upsets me. <laughs> Uh, the series will also feature Marvel's pulp in the Blonde Phantom along with an all-new character that remains a mystery. Matt, you and I both thought this last new Avengers story was kind of mediocre. Is running with some of these plot threads a good idea on Marvel's part?
0: I like the plot threads. I like the history of it. I'm into that. I I always love a little revisionist history, fixing up some continuity stuff, whatever. But I'm not crazy about Howard Chaikin's art. It's just so spastic and nutty. And I I don't know if I can look at it month after month. And I feel bad because I really like Howard Chaikin. Like, he works... When they're using this as a flashback in New Avengers, it worked. Yeah. And I liked it. I don't know if I need a whole comic of it.
1: I I will say that it was the flashback parts of this storyline that I thought were good. It was the modern day stuff that I didn't like. So I'm into the idea of a a story about Nick Fury's secret team of spies and having them all be existing characters. I don't like the idea, and this is continuity nerd me, but I don't like the idea of like forcing them to be the avengers why do they have to call them the avengers uh, you know <laughs> it's like the wasp came up with the name of avengers as like an afterthought in avengers number one it doesn't make any sense it smacks of like it the is, movie continuity it's definitely revision Ebbing, ebbing in like the avengers initiative i don't hate
0: mm-hmm. it but it's definitely revision
1: I, i'm looking forward to it i think it could be fun and i'm into like Sabretooth and craven running around with Nick like fury in the 50s i think it's kind of fun <laughs> In Hollywood news, the FX Network announced the principal
0: casting for their upcoming pilot based on Brian Michael Bendis' Powers series, Aging Heartthrob, Aging. He looks fantastic, I might add. Jason Patrick will take (laughs) on the role of Detective Christian Walker, and British actress Lucy Lucy Punch will play his feisty partner, Dina Pilgrim. Patrick is no stranger to the nerdier side of Hollywood, having acted in such roles as Michael in The Lost Boys, arguably the best 80s film out there. I dare you to name one better. And the maniacal Max in The Losers, which was terrible. Any way you look at it, no, just terrible. No, I loved The Losers you're movie. You're On the other hand, Lucy Punch is best known, at least to American audiences, as the blonde in the Don't trailer from Grindhouse. <laughs> if you're thinking of going into this house, don't. <laughs> <laughs> the two join Charles S. Dutton, who I love, who will play Walker and Pilgrim's long-suffering captain. And... Bailey Madison, the 11-year-old actress that will bring the adorably foul-mouthed Callista to life. Joe, do you think Jason Patrick can possibly top his performance as a substitute Keanu in Speed 2 Cruise Control?
1: (laughs) You know, I have no problem with Jason Patrick. Did you love
0: Speed 2 also? I don't think
1: I actually saw Speed 2. I have no problems with Jason Patrick. I had this conversation with Ryan from Movie Ha on Facebook the other day, and I guess my reaction was... Kind of bewilderment. Yeah. Cause, okay. Jason Patrick, talented actor. Really
0: talented actor. Like, I really enjoy him. He was in a movie called Narc that I love. Sure. Is he big enough? Well, I don't... That's g- the thing, because Detective Walker is drawn like seven feet oh, tall. Oh, like big, big.
1: Yeah. He's like shack tall Well, in the former comics. superhero, Christian yeah. Walker. You know, I. it's not that I d- dislike Jason Patrick. I just feel like there must have been a more obvious choice, and we just didn't ever see it. We'll get to that later. In I our, guess we will
0: in our question of um, the week. I
1: will say that when I was writing the script, I googled Bailey Madison, which sounds filthy. I promise. I just <laughs> went to Google and oh, looked up show her name. me Bailey Madison. <laughs> uh, and a picture came up of her in like pigtail braids, and she looks exactly like Callista from Powers Number One. It was uncanny. Finally, Image Comics announced that they would be implementing a content rating system similar to the one recently instituted by DC Comics. Beginning with their July titles, all image books will use the following rating system. E for everyone, which is, of course, all ages. T for teen, 12 and up, may contain mild violence. Ooh, and mild profanity, like hex and dangs. (laughs) T plus is for 16 and up, may contain moderate violence, moderate profanity, suggestive themes, and then mature. 18 and up, may contain nudity, profanity, excessive violence, and other content not suitable for minors. Full
0: frontal male nudity.
1: (laughs) The announcement quotes image publisher Eric Stevenson, Retailers have been asking us to more clearly define which audiences our various comics are aimed at for some time, and we're pleased to finally comply with those requests. It's been nearly a decade since the comics industry began the process of abandoning the comics code, but during that time there hasn't been one consistent rating system. I agree. Totally. Uh, The system DC employs is by far the clearest, so it makes sense to go with that. Matt, will Image's new policy help your mommy pick out
0: which comics are appropriate? Here's why it's a good thing. Because if the comics industry doesn't do this for themselves someone else is going to do it for them
1: it's like the video game industry It's exactly Uh, they had to create a self-regulatory body so that they got ahead of it
0: and they started putting ages on it and i don't have any problem with this neither do i this is fine i think it's like i said it's a good thing because i don't want someone else coming in deciding what is too much violence what is what is too much full frontal male nudity
1: well like matt (laughs) matt and i remember a time when our previous employer nearly got in trouble for selling Gen 13 to right. a child.
0: <laughs> when I mean, back in the day, I wasn't allowed to buy Spawn yeah. when I was 16. Okay. Uh,
1: Spawn. This is not an adult book. No. And Gen ridiculous. 13 at the time was certainly like intended to be titillating, but it yeah. didn't have nudity. No. Or I even mean, cursing. Or even bikinis. Right. Uh, but I mean,. The, the I think the interesting thing I is think that there
0: was a lot of bikinis.
1: Yeah. That image had never felt the need to rate themselves before and now they do. But I think that it, I the, think it's the culture is such that it's a smart move on. I image think if they are. can
0: prove that they can do this themselves and retailers can comply with it, we don't have to worry about another comics code or a parental group marching in front of our comic shops. Right. Telling us what kids should or shouldn't be reading.
1: Right. Just because Rainmaker kissed a girl.
0: It, Exactly. Nice reference. <laughs> Thank by the way.
1: you. So yeah, I can say, "Hey, mom, you might not want to buy this issue of Invincible Rainmaker." I have thought about Rainmaker, and I don't know how long <laughs> you might not want to buy this issue of Invincible because it's got buckets of blood in it. <laughs>
0: That's this week's big news. If you want to discuss these stories or anything else that you think we missed, hit us up on Facebook where their site's search engine is inadvertently helping us grow our listener base by auto-filling two-headed nerd and redirecting people desperately seeking like-minded two-and-a-half men.
1: Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. Ready, go! It's time for us to take a look at some comments that came out this Wednesday. Matt, what do you have for us?
0: This week, I read Brightest Day Aftermath, the search for Swamp Thing number one. This picks up after the exciting events of Brightest Day, where we saw the star-shaped forest in Star City turn into a giant Voltron Swamp Thing and fight the evil Voltron Black Swamp Thing. With the power of heart. With the power of heart, imbued in it by Alec Holland. Captain Planet. <laughs> wow, all these metaphors. Listen <laughs> swamp Thing is back, but he disappeared. And guess who's looking for him? john constantine vertigo's john constantine has been thrust into dc continuity just in time for dc continuity to end and be reborn in a couple (laughs) months this is the story of john searching the world for the swamp thing and in this issue he decides he needs to enlist the help of the world's greatest detective batman not much happens here not much at all this feels like again dc treading water until they restart their universe yeah and i have to wonder and i'm maybe this isn't fair of me to put a qualification like this on the book but is any of this going to stand in scott snyder's new swamp thing number one when the dc universe does get relaunched or rebooted or reborn or restarted or whatever you want to call it
1: i i think That Swamp Thing will be one of the titles that does carry over what happened.
0: Okay, so Brightest Day Stands. So maybe it
1: does. And if that's... I mean, it has to.
0: I guess it does, yeah. You can't
1: work that hard to set up the return of a character and then ignore it. Here's what (laughs) confuses
0: me. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw out a spoiler here. Because, honestly, you're not missing a whole lot. There's
1: no way to talk about it without doing it.
0: There really isn't. Because the main thing that bothered me is the very last page. Where John Constantine reveals when Alec Holland came back... Which, in the Pages of Brightest Days, we saw it. Alec Holland came back. Became Swamp Thing. Joined with the green and became Swamp Thing again. And fought off the black. Right? Right. In this, John Constantine is insinuating that Alec Holland may have come back with his own- A separate entity. As a separate entity. With his own consciousness and his own being. And that would be terrible.
1: Right. And they don't explain it. Which leads me to ask, Why? They don't earn the cliffhanger. No. Why would that be so bad?
0: I don't get it. And all you got to do is reverse it and say, maybe they came back separately and the Swamp Thing is out of control. Yeah,
1: because he's untethered. Like the Spectre. If the Spectre doesn't have a human host,
0: look out. But the thing of it is, we saw the Swamp Thing untethered (laughs) in the last issue of Brightest Day and they had to bring Alec Holland back. So he could join with it. Right. So what are they doing here? I don't know. Are they undoing what they did in Brightest it Day? It was unclear and unearned. And I, and they only have two issues to clear this up. Right. And like I said, not much happened here. Now, on a really weird note, and Joe Patrick pointed this out to me, the preview that was put <laughs> in the back of all of like last month's DC Comics was different than the first three pages we saw here, most notably in the fact that there was a fat guy with a goatee that helps John Constantine when he's being grabbed by plants and stuff. And John says to him, in the regular issue, it's not a fat guy, no goatee. The dude to the hat, it's obviously Chaz, the cab driver. And he even says the words, Chaz, run, get out of here. Right. And before that, he's reading a newspaper and Chaz is like, ladies and gentlemen, the only jerk that still buys newspapers, John Constantine. And then John's like, up yours, Chaz. And it's obviously <laughs> a different character. How did this change in the last couple of weeks? Yeah,
1: what the hell happened? Yeah, I don't here? know. In the preview it's very obviously not Chaz and they actually changed not only the art but the script. Yeah. I don't understand like and the only thing I could come up with is the idea that beyond all reason, the Vertigo editors are still struggling with the fact that DC is using Swamp Thing and Hellblazer.
0: Yeah, when obviously Hellblazer is kind of like the big name here. Why are we so concerned about Chaz? I, I don't know. And this is speculation. We're probably yeah, way off.
1: Like, the best I got is they were worried about brand confusion. It's weird. Over stupid. the Chaz case. At the end of the day,
0: I'm giving this a leave it. I don't think it's as terrible as some sites are saying it is, but there's really nothing here. And I don't know what's going to stand from this when it restarts.
1: You know, I think it will all stand. However, is it necessary? No. No. The art, I thought, was mostly decent, though there were some confusing parts. There's a scene where John... Constantine is forcibly ejected from the Batmobile Yeah, and it looks like he's like, just, like he,
0: fired through the material like, of the wall yeah it's like
1: the Batmobile door's not open there's no sunroof it's like Batman through sheer force of will forces him through the solid door and into the street <laughs> there, there's nothing especially wrong with the script they lay on the British
0: this is reminiscent accent, super of thick. Like, early Banshee in the X-Men comics yeah you Rogue know, like, in the 90s yeah
1: <laughs> Sugar. it wasn't terrible but if that's the best you can say about it, then there can really only be one grade. Yeah. I would give it a leave it let's, unless you're like a swamp thing completist. Let's stay with leave it. Yeah. So, Joe Patrick, what did you read this week? the irony of calling this the comic that made me the happiest <laughs> it's Ultimate Spider-Man 160 the death of Ultimate Spider-Man the death of Spider-Man finale S- spoiled
0: for everybody by the New York Post it's true
1: Jerks. and you know that said much as we did with the Fantastic Four review we're not holding back on spoilers Marvel well, there's spoiled no reason it to for know. the world it's out there Yeah, the day before the comic the came CNN out CNN ticker told people sorry everybody this is Ultimate Spider-Man 160 by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley this is Peter with his last gasp, finally throwing down once and for all with Norman Osborne, who is full on, crazy insane, got no brain, Green Goblin on fire. I believe you mean going insane, got no brain. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Little Cypress Hill. Thank you. You know, just with everything he has, taking down Norman before Norman can uh hurt his friends and family. And it was just such a showcase for the character, even though it was all action for the most part. It was such a showcase for the character of Peter Parker and how he puts himself above, or rather, he puts others above himself. And he would rather fight Norman with a gunshot wound in the middle of the street with his mask off than, you know, try to avoid it and uh, conceal his identity and get help. He threw himself into the thick of it with no regard for himself. So his family could get away. Yeah. right and so he basically sacrificed himself so that his family would be safe and there's a great scene with his interplay with johnny storm who had been living with the parkers for a while where johnny has been knocked out by the goblin and he finally gets johnny to wake up and johnny uses his noble flame on him only to find out that green goblin's powers are based on fire and that was like the worst idea ever (laughs) (laughs) and uh so, like, the, the way that they illustrate just the sheer amount of threat that this version of the Green Goblin... I I am the sort of guy that, like, prefers the maniacal planning supervillain. So, when I say that this version of the Green Goblin, basically the Hulk on fire... Yeah. ...is scarier He's than so the real cooler. Green Goblin... so much cooler. I mean, it. that's a credit to Bendis, building up this savage guy that's good for nothing but pounding things with his fists. It built him up into such a credible villain... And and a serious threat that when he shows up, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's scary. And this is the only way this storyline could have ended with Peter uh, facing off against Norman. To the death. To the death.
0: Oh, the scene with Aunt May.
1: Uh, well, the, there's that.
0: The scene with Aunt May. Where he's laying on the ground and she's like, "What? What, what, what did you do? What did you do?" And, he, and he's fading.
1: It's like, okay, it's and okay. She, and
0: she looks at him. He's like, "It's okay. I did I it. I did it. Right. I protected you guys. I saved you. I couldn't I save, couldn't Uncle, save ben, Uncle Ben. <laughs> but I saved you guys.
1: Oh, I said it on the last episode. If if it ended with him dying, or if it ended it with him hanging up his costume in a metaphorical death of Spider Man, I would have been okay with it either way. Bagley is. Doing the best work of his career.
0: This is a gorgeous issue.
1: Which just makes it so befuddling what happened with him at DC. He was on
0: JLA and it looked terrible. (laughs) Just terrible.
1: In in case you you can't uh, guess, this is a strong buy it. And I am so excited for the new series with uh, the new Spider-Man. I don't know what it's going to be. Bagley's going to be gone, but Sarah Pacelli will be back. And I know it's going to be phenomenal. This is a definite buy it.
0: Yeah, strong buy it for me as well. I'm still catching up on this series, and I hadn't read the story up until now. I just picked up this issue to read it because you were reviewing it and i loved it and now i am going i'm absolutely going to go back and read all the other stuff you've got a huge buy people that jumped off this is one of brian michael bennis's best comics
1: he's ever written yeah get back to it
0: so a double leave it for the search for swamp thing and a double buy it for ultimate spidey 160
1: all right nerds time to jump on our twin suzuki gsx r750 m's and launch over fences in front of hot chicks riding horses our Facebook page for a video reference. Oh, it's time for the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Incredible Hulk 631. You know, I have never read a more inconsistent book. It, every every other issue, it's great. It's terrible. It's great. It's terrible. This issue is awesome. Paul Pelletier, or however you say his LTA, name, A, He's French. It's so good on the art. Buy it. Well,
0: he's not French. What his ancestors are.
1: Action Comics 902. He was awful. Hey,
0: I can't believe how inconsistent this book is because this Doomsday crap is so stupid. I feel like
1: Paul Cornell was not in charge of this. I don't. Line.
0: This is editorial mandate. I leave it.
1: Obviously.
0: Fables 106.
1: My current favorite book, no doubt, hands down. Uh, this is the end of the Super Team story, The North Wind versus Mr. Dark. Buy it! Iron Man 2.0,
0: number six. Uh, Fear Itself tie-in here. It feels a little more like an Iron Fist book than an Iron Man Why 2.0 Why did they book.
1: interrupt the War Machine story for this?
0: I don't know, because like it's War Machine puzzling. is taking a backseat. Go ahead and give me an Iron Fist miniseries and let Nick Spencer write it. That said, I give it a skim It. It's, it's not a bad issue, although Olivetti's art, it's awful. I'm <laughs> done with it. And Man. it's not his art. It's the background crap that he does. Rock Eater Adventures, number two. (laughs) Uh, That's the Rocketeer, folks. I
1: can't believe I'm saying this, but this issue was better than the first. Uh, you've got Mark Wade and Darwin Cook and Chris Weston and Gene Ha. It's just so great. Hope be fun. Buy it. All-nighter, number one.
0: I did not get the references where people said this was similar to Scott Pilgrim at all, other than it was black and white, and it was a comic book. It was well-written, but I don't think it's for me. It's
1: not for me. Stim I'm not it. a teenage girl. Why do I keep forgetting how to do this? The mission, <laughs> number five. This book gets better every single month. I, you can just really feel the desperation in the main character. This is a really compelling story. You guys need to track this down. Buy it. New Mutants, number 26.
0: Uh, the New Mutants are cleaning up the X-Men's unfinished love business. It. And this month, it's the Sugar Man. Sugar Man. It's the Sugar Man from the Age of Apocalypse. i It just I love me. how the Sugar Man did not know who they
1: were. I love it. I love it. I
0: love it. I love it. Buy it. Flashpoint. Kid Flash lost. Number one.
1: Uh, a Flashpoint tie-in that I actually thought was pretty good. Uh, the art was puzzling. It reminded me of a <laughs> young Howard Porter but not quite as strong Anyway it's Bart Allen in the Matrix kind of fun skimming Silver Surfer number five
0: the end of the Silver Surfer mini series by Greg Pack It was so good. It was so cosmic and ridiculous Blacked and huge in scope in the,
1: middle of the series but art went real
0: crazy fun. and made me dizzy while I looked at it I oh, loved I'm it forward. buy it this is yeah. a lot of fun. Clampock! that is your ludicrous speed round. For those of you wondering what the hell Clampock is, that is the noise that Spider-Man makes when he hits someone with a mailbox. Ah. Clampoc. (laughs) All right, time for Joe and I to play the Psychic Nerds Network and talk about some comics coming out next week. Joe. What should nerds Can be we buying be Ms. next Cleo Wednesday?
1: Instead? Sure. Whatever you want, baby.
0: <laughs> no, I like a Dionne Warwick better. She's sexier. <laughs> right. uh, In a you... weird flat top <laughs> kind of way. Stop it.
1: Stop it. Keep your eyes peeled for Witch Doctor number one from Image Comics and Robert Kirkman's Skybound Imprint. This book is by Brandon Seifert and Lucas Kettner, and it is described as uh, house meets fringe. Tell them what Warren Ellis said about it. He called it mental. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is like if they talked to mark wade and he went oh man this is crazy <laughs> right uh
1: and it's just it looks like good fun it's like a doctor that does house calls for supernatural problems like demon possession and uh vampire bites and stuff and it's got gorgeous like bernie wrightson-esque art uh you guys should definitely check this out matt what about you I am super
0: excited for FF number five for one reason. It is obviously the return of Black Bolt.
1: You mean is- Blackagar Boltagon? <laughs> I
0: hate that name, but I love Black Bolt. Jonathan Hickman has been killing it on FF, which is now the future foundation, not Fantastic Four. This book is so, so good. And now we're getting into the war of the universal and Humans. This is going to be a lot of fun. If you're not reading FF, you should be. Now it's time once again for Joe and I to prove that we can read books longer than 22 pages with pictures. As long as they're broken up into
1: 22-page chapters. Last week of every month,
0: we review a complete trade paperback, and this month we'll be reviewing Brian Wood's Deviate
1: Gods and Monsters, a little segment we like to call, Take a
0: Look, It's
1: in a Book. This book, Deviate Gods and Monsters, is by Brian Wood with art by Rebecca Isaacs. Gorgeous. Yeah. She's fantastic. Uh, So, yeah, this was like the last hurrah of Wildstorm. And it's basically these characters dropped on an alien world with no explanation.
0: They don't know why they're there. Yeah, you know, we wake up with Jim, uh, who's codenamed Copycat, and she's sort of narrating this whole story. And she's speaking to this disembodied voice. And they show us very early on that she's on the authorities. She's on the carrier. Yeah, the carrier. In a in a
1: in a cell, not a cell, but like an interview room. And someone's talking to her like behind one way glass. <laughs> but she,
0: she's telling the story of what happened to them when they were dropped onto this planet. And this planet is sort of this chrome, the Stone Age. I yeah, guess this Stone you'd Age. Say. Stone Age Earth, we'll call yeah. it. And there's these different tribes of people, and there's these tribe of Amazon women, these tribe of like nomadic warriors, this like Hunters. almost type, yeah, this tribe of like samurai type race, and they coincide very neatly with the character's own characteristics, the things that make them who they are. Yeah, like yeah. threshold is, is taken in by this warrior cast because he is this like little Hitler basically. He's perfect soldier. He's a killing machine. Yeah, and uh, bliss who has these powers where when she touches you, she can either make you feel like this perfect orgasmic bliss or she can inflict horrible pain, is taken in by these Amazon warrior-type people, and she turns them into this, like, sex and death cult that follow her. Like, they just sort of wander off because these characters hate each other, and they've established in the regular series, I was a fan because I was a wild storm dork, but they hate (laughs) each other. This is basically like the real world with superpowers. If instead of being placed into like a really expensive condo where they can get drunk, take off their clothes, and beat on each other. They're put on a planet with earlier examples of of man, basically, right. who look to them as these gods because they have these superpowers. But what we see with this story ultimately perfectly spells out the difference between the Wildstorm universe and the DC universe in the sense that if you drop the JLA onto this planet, well, of course, they'd all be good guys and they would help everyone. But these are terrible people that happen to have powers that were abused by their handlers. Uh, Ivana Bayul. Experimented on. Yeah, and sent out to do all these, like, government hit squad type missions. And here, we slowly find out that they're dropped onto this planet as part of an experiment to see how they react in this situation, to see how they'll deal with it. And only one of them truly tries to help the people they encounter. The rest of them either lord over them and use them for their own means to feel more powerful or spend their time wandering back and forth trying to figure out what's wrong with everybody. They're so lost in their own selfishness. And it sets up this perfect look at the Wildstorm universe where superheroes are not necessarily superheroes. They're powered beings. Yeah, and they're
1: soldiers or, and, you know, monsters or...
0: And I don't want to give away the end because it is very cool what was going on in this book. But we see that the guys that we think are the most good in this universe are actually conducting this experiment on them to see how they react. And people die because of it. But ultimately, they don't know how else to put these characters who have been so abused in a real-world situation to see how they'll react, to see if they can be saved other than this. I loved this story i did too and if this is the last thing that comes out of wildstorm i would be <laughs> fine with it
1: however but you know what it's if, not <laughs> if more books w- were like this wildstorm probably wouldn't have won away. it would
0: yeah it would okay. still be around this was a fantastic book
1: uh, for me I-, I loved it again and if i were to have one complaint it would be that i personally felt that the wildstorm elements could have completely been removed and the story would not have changed it could have been a story about any super powered young people the the wildstorm yeah, stuff. Yeah, if you dropped Young Justice in here, what would happen? No, I'm saying, <laughs> I don't mean ex- it would have felt that way for any like existing character. I'm saying this could have been a story with characters Brian would created. Sure. And it would have been exactly the same. My guess is... Except for the end where they tie it into, uh, you know, the stuff on the carrier. I don't combat. know this for sure,
0: but my guess is Brian Wood wrote this a while ago and they thought this story was so good that they wanted to get it out before Wildstorm was gone, so they just fired it out there.
1: It, you know, it's it's really, really fun. And, well, fun's the wrong word. <laughs> but it's an amazing story. And this is a book that any, any comic fan should uh, seek out. Wildstorm fan or not, again, I didn't know anything about Deviate, and I held on just fine. This is a strong book with excellent writing and beautiful art. Yeah. This gets a strong, strong buy it. Yeah,
0: Rebecca Isaacs. Wow. I'm really looking forward to more from her, because this was gorgeous. Strong buy it from me as well.
1: Next month, we'll be reviewing
0: Darwin Cook's adaptation of Parker the Hunter. If you want to read along, your local comic shop should have a copy But there is a big, sexy edition hardcover called the Martini Edition that collects the first two Parker books, and it comes out on Joe Patrick's birthday. Sort of breaking down like soot. That is it for the Two-Headed Nerd this week. If you can't get enough of my white rapper references, and I didn't even go into my snow and third base material, you can subscribe to THN on iTunes where your star ratings and reviews make Joe and I's furious dance moves look so much better in our shimmering parachute pants. On a serious note, if you're digging on the cut of these nerds' jib, we need you to click our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com even if it's only a dollar. Anything you can give will be appreciated and goes right back into making this show better. That said, donations over $2,000 come with the best (laughs) damn high five you've ever received or your money
1: back. I don't know if we can hold up that end of the bargain. You bet I can. As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com where you can find our Twitter handles and links to our buddies' nerdy projects. Like surprise the comics podcast directory come on you jerks who still does not have a link to our show regardless of the fact that i've had theirs up on our site for months and until such time as they do we will continue to remind them of this oversight
0: If that's not enough, you can head over to our Facebook page where you can
1: become a fan of THN and answer
0: the question of the week. This week's query,
1: you play the part of the big-time Hollywood casting agent and tell us who you think should play Detectives Walker and Pilgrim on the upcoming FX Power Show. I see a scary, drunk Patrick Warburg. Love (laughs)
0: it. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our buddy Ryan Forrest because we're recording on his birthday. Happy birthday, Ryan, and word to you. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.